0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. Two out of five Floridians are living on the edge of poverty. That's according to a report published in April by United Way Suncoast. People living in households just above the poverty line are identified as Asset Limited, Income Constrained, Employed, or ALICE for short. Those individuals are working but have trouble paying for basic necessities like food, housing and health care. For more on what the data tells us about Tampa Bay residents who are struggling to get by and what resources are available, we're joined by WUSF's Gabriella Paul, who covers the Paycheck to Paycheck Beat. Hey, Gabriella.
1: Hey, happy to be here.
0: Doug Greason Now, Vice President of Community Impact with United Way Suncoast. Hello, Doug. Hello, hello. Cindy Vann, Senior Director of Mission Engagement with Meals on Wheels Tampa. Welcome, Cindy. Thank
2: you so much for having me.
0: And Tammy Schamberger, President of the Black Child Development Institute of Greater Tampa Bay, who joins us by Zoom. Tammy, thank you as well.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Gabriella, let me start with you. The report from United Way Suncoast paints a pretty grim picture of poverty in Tampa Bay. Nearly half of residents in this area are struggling to get by. The pandemic or pandemic relief is also a very big part of the story in the last couple of years. Can you just explain how that fits in?
1: Yeah, so there's kind of two big things to understand here. So for many families that fall into that ALICE threshold, which really are those living paycheck to paycheck, this was you know one of the first times they qualified for that government assistance. So typically... You know, when you're above the federal poverty line, you're not getting that government aid. Mm-hmm. Um, for this point in time, you know, you did have maybe that rental assistance, that child tax credit, and it was helping you get your budget to get even maybe close to where your expenses were. However, this report shows us that even with the government assistance in some cases, it wasn't putting people to where their ends were meeting. It was mm-hmm. not helping people quite get there. So, you know, this one. Uh, statistics says a family of four with two working parents, with that uh, child tax credit, it still was not helping them afford what uh, we call the survival budget. And secondly, what's you know most important now is that this government assistance is gone. Mm-hmm. So what policy experts call kind of this fiscal cliff is there's a need that's continuing that's no longer being funded.
0: Now, much of your reporting, Gabby, has been focused on housing. How does housing fit into the story and what are some of the challenges that Tampa Bay residents face when it comes to finding and paying for somewhere to live?
1: Yes. So housing, which is no surprise to anybody living here in Florida and in the greater Tampa Bay region, is going to be a large percentage of your budget. Um, and it seems that number just keeps climbing. So a few things are happening at the same time here um, in this past year. Generally, wages are lagging behind for renters in particular. We're seeing an intense in migration throughout the pandemic, especially the Tampa Bay region was a huge destination for people that traveled here. And in last year in particular, I spoke to a lot of renters who were facing maybe a three, four hundred dollar spike in their rent if they were to renew. However, a lot of people felt if they were to leave, they would not be able to find available or attainable housing. Even nearby. So, mm. a lot of people stayed put and just decided to make drastic cuts to their existing budget. Or, unfortunately, for some people, they actually fell outside of that Alice threshold, meaning they actually did fall into poverty and they are facing things like eviction and homelessness.
0: What kind of calculations are people making if they have to choose between some of those necessities? Like, what stories are you hearing from people you've talked to?
1: So glad you're asking this question because for a lot of those within the Alice threshold, there are these trade-offs that are consistently happening because your budget may not be fixed, but you don't have the um, amount of income to really cover your expenses that are at the same time climbing in Florida and here in Tampa. So I'm talking to um, a lot of people every day and asking them this exact question, how are you making ends meet? What does that look like for you? And so some people have decided that they're going to move much farther away from where their work is, which tends to be in the more metropolitan area. So they're deciding to take higher transportation costs, um, you know, pay a little bit more on gas, but travel maybe 30, 45 minutes instead of living just 15 minutes by uh, where they work. Mm -hmm. Some people are finding that they're going to pay for higher housing. So that can look like, you know, in some cases, $1,600 for a one bedroom um, here in the Tampa Bay region and just cutting other things really drastically. So grocery bills cut in half or going to find some place where a food pantry or or some sort of you know meals on wheels, some some place where you're able to supplement your grocery bills without having to necessarily pay at the grocery store. A lot of people are foregoing saving any sort of rainy day funds or being able to pay off their credit card bills. So a lot of people have that climbing credit. And then lastly in terms of trying to bolster income, you know, I'm talking to both the youngest people in the community and the oldest people in the community are really struggling. Some college graduates I've talked to are working up to three part and full-time jobs, um, not using their college degree, but just needing to have immediate income to pay Mm -hmm. rent. I'm also talking to some of our, in our aging population that is trying to survive on social security, but is now having to go back to work to just supplement that income to start being able to cover the climbing expenses there.
0: Well, Cindy, let me bring you into this conversation. Who are the Meals on Wheels clients you serve and and what, proportion would be in the category we're talking about, which is maybe people who who might struggle to pay for basic necessities.
2: Yeah. Meals on Wheels of Tampa is serving the homebound community. So largely, those are the elderly. However, Meals on Wheels of Tampa is able to serve people who are under 62, Because we are privately funded, we have a little bit more leeway that way.
0: Is that a new thing? Like, are you seeing more people in that category? We are. We are. Wow. A
2: lot of disabled people, people who are unable to work. Mm -hmm. And we're finding that about 70% of the people we serve are at or below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. They need help paying for their meals.
0: What's the story been like in the last two, three years? You know, since the pandemic started, there was a little bit of extra federal help, as as, uh, Gabriella pointed out. Uh, did you see a change in, in who you served and how you served them?
2: You know, it was more people initially. We certainly saw that. Certainly the fear of getting out and, and buying groceries, not knowing how, how the virus was spread led to people staying home for a long time. Mm-hmm. Then it became that we're just serving more people who are struggling The cost of housing has impacted those who are on fixed incomes in tremendous ways. People are having to make really hard decisions between food, utilities, rent, and medicine. Hmm. People are really having to sacrifice their health in order to be able to stay where they are. And that's where Meals on Wheels can really provide just that consistent good nutrition that can make a difference. It certainly won't solve the problem, but it is one of the remedies.
0: Do you have more clients than you can cater to?
2: We're able to serve everyone at this point. We do not have a waiting list. One of the other struggles we have is we are volunteer-based, and a lot of our volunteers are elderly or older, and they are having to go back to work in order to um, make their ends meet. So we're constantly looking for new volunteers to serve our homebound neighbors.
0: Hmm. Doug, some things really stuck out for me about the Alice report. One of them was just identifying some of the folks who may be in that category of folks who are on the margins of poverty, maybe people you might not think about. Can you talk a little bit about that? Who is in part of that core group of people?
4: Yeah. I mean, when you said in the beginning, when you have two out of every five, you know, more than in our community who are Alice, we're really talking about any type of our communities and anyone you can think of in your mind is probably having some subset of their populations that's struggling, right? To give context to that, 45% of our community, if we look at United Way Suncoast's five-county area, which is Hillsborough, Pinellas, Sarasota, Manatee, and DeSoto County, it's 615,000 households that are struggling. And when you look at that and you look at that across the spectrum, like you asked, we're talking about, you know, like one out of every five accounting and bookkeepers are struggling with them, their finances. We have one out of every 10, nine or 10 registered nurses who are struggling, one out of every six elementary and middle school teachers. And uh, the one that I think was most jarring for me is if you look at our, our child care workers, or we like to call them the early education workers, individuals who are in charge of the youngest of our care, mm-hmm. more than half of all of those workers are struggling financially. And so, you know, when we talk about, you know, there's a lot of good research out there talking about, you know, uh, struggling with finance impacting productivity. And that's true for, for the Alice population. But when productivity consists of being a teacher or a nurse or a child care worker, that productivity is taking care of our community. And so there are a lot of those families that are struggling. A lot of the service communities are struggling. But I'll tell you, I mean, when we hear stories, especially people who are struggling with housing or people struggling with food, we've had registered nurses, we've had police officers, we've had teachers. I mean, pretty much any discipline has come to us asking for help. It really does span that globe.
0: And just going back to that notion of an impending cliff or an approaching cliff when it comes to some assistance that, you know, isn't going to be around pretty soon, uh, what does that look like?
4: Yeah, well, you know, coming soon, you know, in some cases it's already happened, right? When we look at our data comparing 2021 to 2022, 2021, as as Gabriella mentioned, had these child tax credits and child independent care credits, which were huge for families with kids. And between, again, 2021 and 2022 taxes, again, we just finished 2022 taxes now in in this year. What we saw is people lost about $10,000 in credits if you were a family of four with two kids. And so, you know, what does this look like? It looks like having $10,000 less Mm -hmm. in order to make ends meet this year compared to last year. Mm -hmm. And that's that's real struggle that a lot of our families with kids are having.
0: So Tammy, I want to bring you into this conversation, could you tell us a little bit first about what the Black Child Development Institute does in the greater Tampa Bay region and how does childcare factor into that?
3: Yes, absolutely. So the Black Child Development Institute is a part of the National Black Child Development Institute, which we focus on the just and equitable treatment of Black children just throughout the country. Um, But here in the greater Tampa Bay region, we focus not on just Black children, but children that are in marginalized communities. And we specifically focus on the early childhood space. We work with families and students regarding early child care and early care education. Mm
0: -hmm. So what's the reality for child care providers in Tampa Bay? Because we've heard some of the, the data, how uh, they are some of the folks who, who may be struggling to get by on a, a week-to-week basis. How are they faring?
3: So families are really struggling in the greater Tampa Bay area. You know, it's been articulated very well that families are having to make decisions between food and rent, utilities and health care. But child care is also one of those things that families are struggling with. If you look at the annual cost of child care, the cost for if a family that has just one infant and one two-year-old runs over $23,000 per year in a private center and just over about $17,000 in a family child care home. Or families that have just one infant, a baby, $13,000 per year for a private center or about $9,000 for a family child care home. Now, we understand the importance of having adequate and effective child care not only so these families can continue their gainful employment but for also educational reasons and systemic issues but we're finding that even with the support of great organizations like the early learning coalition of hillsborough county and other counties that really subsidize these costs The working poor, these families are still struggling to keep their children in childcare. And so we find that kids are often being kept in very unsafe environments for those families who are choosing to even stay employed Mm -hmm. so they can um, keep their jobs.
0: I'm wondering, too, about the childcare providers. Like, do you hear, are you hearing from childcare providers in your network who are saying it's, it's, you know, tough to get by? Like, is that a conversation you're hearing as well?
3: Absolutely. We certainly advocate for providers. Listen, they're a big part of that ALICE group that you're talking about. Most childcare providers are only making an average of $13 to $15 per hour. So they're very underpaid as well. And so they struggle with making these same exact decisions for their families. So it's, it's definitely an issue in this aspect as well.
0: You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking about the challenges facing Floridians on the edge of poverty in Tampa Bay. We'll continue the conversation after the break. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking about the challenges facing Floridians living on the edge of poverty in Tampa Bay. With us, Doug Griesenauer, United Way Suncoast; Cindy Van Mills on Mills of Tampa; Tammy Schamberger with the Black Child Development Institute of Greater Tampa Bay; and Gabrielle Paul, who covers the Paycheck to Paycheck beat with WUSF. So, I'm wondering, Gabby, have you had a look at how Tampa Bay kind of compares with the rest of the state in terms of where we sit when it comes to wealth and poverty issues?
1: Well, in terms of this ALICE report, and Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the greater Tampa Bay region is almost exactly on par with what we look like statewide. And that means that there is 45%. So just almost half of the population is either at the Alice threshold or below, meaning that they are in the federal poverty line group as well. So within that, it's about 30% are within that Alice group, meaning that they are in fact living paycheck to paycheck, which is the community that I'm covering very closely.
0: Doug, what are you seeing? I mean, when you look at sort of Tampa Bay area, are there some things that make this region unique compared to the rest of
4: the state? I think when you look at what we're doing across, and again, when we look at our area, it's, it's five counties. So here in Hillsborough, yep. but then also we look at rural DeSoto County as well. And we do see is there's a lot of difference by county, especially comparing our urban and rural districts. I mean, again, 45% of our community struggling is a lot, but then you look to our more rural DeSoto County, just to our south, and the numbers percentage-wise are just vastly larger. And so we know that there's a lot of individuals in rural communities that are struggling. What's interesting is when we try to dive it deeper in terms of what specific costs are, Again, it's more expensive to find a house here than it is in other places. And so same with childcare. I mean, the costs of what it takes to get by are more and more so that when you look at, again, just for example, looking at Hillsborough County, Hillsborough and Pinellas County combined, I think is upwards of you know about $88,000 to get by when you remove those tax credits that aren't available to individuals anymore. So Mm -hmm. it's expensive to get by in our communities. There are great resources, great nonprofits, and great groups that are coming together to help people to bridge those gaps. But what we're seeing is really just the magnitude of the problem here uh, is massive.
0: What did the pandemic tell you about some ways to combat poverty that... You may not have thought about before
4: yeah the, when we looked at the pandemic and the impacts of it really the, the ongoing conversation that we've been having at united Way Suncoast is that it really people were in crisis before the pandemic and the pandemic just brought them right over that that line in in the worst possible way right individuals were struggling paycheck to paycheck the story we said before the pandemic is they were one paycheck away from a uh, disaster and the pandemic made people eight months of no paychecks in some cases especially mm-hmm. for our individuals so What we've seen is individuals who are really struggling to get out of of that poverty who are even further in. But then, like I mentioned, those benefits came in. There was rental assistance that came in. There were other supports that bolstered individuals. And we found that that was successful, right? In, again, our community, the emergency rental assistance came out and $100 million came in to support individuals and keep them housed. And that kept people housed. And then the emergency rental assistance went away, and now people are struggling again. I mean, what we're seeing is that, you know, a lot of these funds and a lot of these availabilities that that did exist did help people get by as a bridge, um, but now without that bridge, they're they're back to struggling.
0: Have there been conversations about trying to sell this idea as like a? economically viable thing? Like we could be putting more money into these areas and it has an overall benefit?
4: It's a conversation to be had. And the conversation we really talk about is that it's not just which problem or which solution do we look at, but how do we take every single solution and put it together? So I'd answer your question is is yes. And what are the small business solutions? What are the large corporation solutions? What are the nonprofit solutions? It's not just looking at specific policies, which have been successful, don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but how do we then combine those with pretty much every sector and build out that work because, you know, when we're looking at those supports, we know that, again, 615,000 households, and that's households, by the way, not people. I mean, that is a large swath of our population. And so we have to really look at at everything for solutions. So, you know, to your point, yes, those funds were helpful and they'll be helpful again, but same with, you know, corporations looking at uh, at-work childcare and providing childcare, especially for sick children, you know, at their company has been found, especially for single parents, to be extremely successful in helping them stay at work, which keeps them in their homes. Tammy, just since
0: we're talking about childcare then, I mean, what are some of the things that, that maybe some new ideas that have come up in the last two, three years about ways to help families that may be struggling to provide childcare or, or sort of having that conversation we we're talking about before, You know, what decisions do I make? What's going to make the most sense economically for my family? What has the Black Child Development Institute of Greater Tampa Bay been thinking about uh, over the last couple of years?
3: sure you know there's really no new ideas the ideas have all been the same we just simply like to see some of them implemented and it all goes back to funding we need education to be a priority in this state and in this country we need our early childhood educators and our k-12 educators to be better paid but we also need more subsidies for our families especially our our working poor families you know we've heard um, there's been some recommendations from some of our legislators nationally and at the state level about actually decreasing funding when the exact opposite really needs to happen. We're pushing for universal access to early childhood education. It almost ought to just be a right for families to be able to have access to high quality, effective early childhood education. One, so we can break generational cycles and we can have effective education, but so that also families don't have to make a decision about working or not working because of the cost of child care. And so it's really a simple solution. It's just really getting these changes implemented.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've got a sympathetic ear in some places, like some branches of government?
3: You know, I wish I could say that that were the case. Certainly, there are some very receptive legislators who agree to the importance of education, especially early childhood education. But we all know that education is simply not a priority in this country. And because of it, we have this very cyclical effect of just continuing poverty and all of the other issues um, because folks just simply don't have access. But it's a fight that we're going to continue until we get results.
0: Mm -hmm. Cindy, I want to come back to something that Doug was talking about, which is trying to tackle every aspect of a problem. In, in the case of Meals on Wheels, it's addressing food insecurity or people who uh, limited mobility. But do you find that Meals on Wheels is having to think about some of these other challenges that are kind of adjacent to poverty as well as you move forward?
2: Absolutely. And part of our program is always to try to link our recipients with services that are in the community. Because if you are hungry and living alone and elderly, you probably have other needs as well. So having that network of care has been really important to us. Mm -hmm. You know, we feel like with the pandemic, there was sort of a new spotlight on so many of the issues that we're talking about. And I think that there is a segment of our community that recognizes that Every dollar that's given to programs, every tax dollar that is goes to people in need, it truly is an investment in our community. And the longer that we can help people live healthier in this community, it's better for all of us.
0: When you think about some of the difficult conversations that families and households or individuals may even be having in terms of what can they go without, what does that look like for some of your clients? Like, What do they have to forego when it comes to deciding what to pay for, what they can pay for?
2: You know, it's it's often for us, because people are living on such short margins anyway, it's utilities, people, it's not uncommon for our volunteers to go into homes and there's no air, there's no heat. There's also, of course, people are really rationing their medicine. And that means not only their prescriptions, but also their trips to the doctor.
0: Mm-hmm. Gabby, I wonder what you're seeing in terms of your beats. Like, are you noticing there's more of an effort to try and coalesce services together or, or for some of these nonprofits to, to work together to try and solve some of these problems or kind of get outside of their lane when it comes to tackling <laughs> some of the issues of wealth and poverty?
1: yeah, I mean, every nonprofit director or volunteer based group that is trying to meet a need in the community has two things in common. One, numbers are growing, and we are getting creative where we can. And actually, thirdly, to Tammy's point, there are solutions that are being talked about. It's a matter of getting a sympathetic
4: ear. Mm-hmm. yeah, I would just add on to that because I mean, we actually had that exact conversation right. with some of our partners with the housing crisis. So, you know, when the housing crisis was starting to get worse and worse, and rents were really just jumping up in the hundreds, we actually convened about 12 of our housing partners together to say exactly that. What do we do to address this crisis? And you know, luckily we were able to invest some funds ourselves into getting into it. And to this point, you know, we were able to find, if we connect our direct service individuals with our legal aid groups, with our food service supports, and create a network of conversations, we'd be able to build that now didn't save everyone, but I mean, through the work, you know, we this was about an 18 or so month project that we had on housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we finish up in June and, and, you know, so far we've helped about more than 5,000 people kept in their homes or had new or stable housing. So, I mean, there are solutions that come here through communication and through shared collaboration with our partners. Now, 5,000 is 5,000 and that's great, but it's also not enough. And so how do we bring more and more people together and build that conversation across all of our community? I think it's huge to to your point, Gabriella.
0: So Doug, what does the future look like then for folks that United Way serves and and what are you hoping for in the way of help from
4: either the business community, individuals or elected officials? So the future, I think there's potential for turning around and for growth, right? I try not to be a depressing person. I assure you, I'm an optimist if you talk to me. But if you look at these data, I mean, you can't turn away from from the data that you're seeing of hundreds of thousands of people who are struggling. And so they will continue to struggle for the near future, right? There's some housing funds that are put in place just this legislative season, but building homes and building housing, that's That's solving 2026's housing issue, which is good. Mm. But we're also still having to work with 2023's housing issue. But when you're looking at at the near future, it it is that collaboration that I think is necessary to be building this work up. And I really hope if if listeners and if workers are going to take one thing out of this is galvanizing that we have understanding that there's a large magnitude of a problem here and we need to have a commensurately large magnitude of a solution when we're talking about what to do about it. Right. So it's not just which nonprofit's going to solve this, which business, which government policy, but all of the nonprofits, all of the businesses, all of the government policies. I mean, everyone's saying, what is my piece of the puzzle that I can put into here? And how does that one piece fit into our 100,000-piece puzzle that we need to build up to create that success? It really has to happen through collaboration mm-hmm. and everyone taking a little bit of – and in some cases, a lot bit of ownership of addressing what's happening here. Tammy, I wonder what your thoughts are. What do you think needs to
0: change? Or what are you going to be focused on when it comes to elevating the conversation around childcare and, and education?
3: Again, I'm just going to go back to funding, you know, access to a high quality early childhood education very simply just should be a right. And we're just certainly encouraging our legislators to put our most vulnerable citizens as a priority, our children, our students and eliminate any obstacle to high quality early childhood education we just need a sympathetic ear and we need our children and our families to be a priority
2: when it comes to childcare
0: mm mm-hmm. and Cindy your thoughts what is the outlook for Meals on Wheels Tampa? What are you going to be focused on in the near future?
2: We know that as baby boomers continue to retire, it's alarming numbers. I'm one of them that's getting closer. Meals on Wheels will be relevant for the next generation, and we are only as strong as the awareness and the partnerships that we have in the community. Being completely community based. We need donors, we need volunteers, we need referral sources, and we need those to partner with to take care of the larger needs of those we serve.
0: Gabriella, what are you going to be paying attention to on the paycheck to paycheck beat over the next few months?
1: You know, I think we've done a really good job of illustrating just the intersectionality of what your paycheck touches. And really, what I'm going to continue covering in the next few months is unfortunately, what is the fallout in these separate areas when your paycheck cannot cover your expenses. And for me, that will look like in the housing realm, the climbing number of evictions that we're seeing in the greater Tampa Bay region. So what happens when you're not able to to pay that second or third rent bill and you unfortunately do lose your home? Uh, that is something I'm reporting on right now. In terms of some of the other counties where housing may not be the biggest issue, and we're talking about Highlands, DeSoto counties, I'm going to be looking at electric bills and even the potential of introducing a internet bill. So can people afford broadband in a continually digital world if that becomes an option when you're already living paycheck to paycheck? And then really looking at our aging population, right now I'm looking at the rising cost of long-term care. So it's also that intersection of housing, but, but also when you maybe only have your biggest asset within a house that you own, but that equity that you can't access, what happens? Does that become living with family or dipping into savings that you wanted to rely on for years to come. And now it's going to go to two years of assisted living. So really the fallout of a budget that's being stretched thin and unfortunately how that's going to affect the community until there's solutions.
0: We've been speaking with WUSF's Gabrielle Paul, who covers the paycheck-to-paycheck beat. Thank you so much. Thanks. Also joined by Doug Griesenauer, Vice President of Community Impact with the United Way Suncoast. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me. Cindy Vann, Senior Director of Mission Engagement with Meals on Wheels Tampa. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you. And Tammy Schamberger, President of the Black Child Development Institute of Greater Tampa Bay. Tammy, thank you so much.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at WUSFnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. Engineering support for this week's show from Blake Bass. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.